Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football season is right around the corner, and the time is now to make your preseason picks. Whether you're betting MVPs, division winners, or your championship contenders, BetOnline is the place to get all of the best odds, props, and parlays for the football season. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline. Where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is Friday, August 19th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. We are going to talk on today's podcast about the Deshaun Watson ruling from the NFL, uh, I guess the independent arbiter who was ruling on the NFL, but the NFL came to a settlement agreement with the Players Association on the Deshaun Watson punishment. That will be uh, the topic of conversation around today's episode, and as always when we talk about this Deshaun Watson case, that will be something that uh, gives us a reason to talk about the story, but will not be the focus of the story that we are talking about today. And before we go on, with the show, because I'm going to mention it probably a couple times if I don't mention it off the top. So I'm just going to mention it real quick right now. If you want our most recent full breakdown of the Deshaun Watson situation, because there will be details that I'm going to miss today in what I've called a sports story for a generation. When we talk about this story, there are going to be details that are left out, and there's so much that we can talk about and so much nuance and so much gray area around this case. So I will point you to these episodes. We've already done, in the last few months, six hours of content around this incredibly complex case. And we have podcasts that go back to May 27th, in which we talked about a sports story of a generation and, and summed up the, the findings of the Deshaun Watson case since he's been traded to the Cleveland Browns. We have a podcast from June 8th where we dive deep into the Jenny Rentus New York Times report, the one that revealed for the first time that Deshaun Watson had met with 67 massage therapists in a 17-month span. Additionally, with the 30 who we already knew were either pursuing some sort of lawsuit against Watson or had gone public, anonymously or not, in reporting by Jenny Brentus, who was at Sports Illustrated back in 2021 and at the New York Times in 2022. So we did a full breakdown of that report. We're going to mention a brief portion of that report today on the show 
If you want the full breakdown of that report, June 8th's podcast is the place to go. June 22nd, we talked about the Deshaun Watson settlement when he settled with 20 of the 24 women and talked about the moral and ethical cases behind settling and how just because someone decided to settle then is not an admission of their shame or their guilt or some justification of how they're emotionally feeling. It just meant that it was a, a form of closure that the best form of closure they could get at that time and just because you didn't settle back on June 22nd doesn't mean that you wouldn't settle in the future. We did a nuanced breakdown of the settlement on June 22nd. We did a breakdown of the hearing with Deshaun Watson on June 27th, so just about a week later from when the settlement took place and talked about how the NFL was trying to speed up this process that, you know, they, they wanted to get it done by the start of football season and not have to put them on the exempt list for the season. We broke that down on June 27th for about an hour, and on August 2nd, we talked about the initial ruling from Sue L. Robinson, where Deshaun Watson was supposed to get a six-game suspension. The NFL appealed that. We broke down the case around that on August 2nd. So again, there will be things that will not be covered today because there's just so much complexity and so much gray area around this I think up to this point, we've done 15 to 20 podcasts around this case going all the way back to March of 2021, and a good portion of that information from 2021 and early 2022 is no longer relevant, so I will point you to podcasts that we did on May 27th, June 8th, June 22nd, June 27th, and August 2nd as also big Deshaun Watson podcasts. And altogether, including this episode, it'll be about six hours breaking down this case and the complexities and nuances and morals and ethics and sports and legal cases as basic of legal research as we can put forth. And at the very end, a little bit talking about the case around the NFL, accountability for people in positions of power, all sorts of complex conversations that we've had, and I encourage you to check out all six episodes because there will be things today that we will not get to, which we have covered on those previous podcasts as well. So let's bring forward the Deshaun Watson case as it currently stands. And every time we talk about Deshaun Watson, going back to a year, we have broken it down into three distinct categories. Sometimes they, they mix and match each other and there's gray area between the two. But like primary colors, we have three distinct categories here. We have the moral and ethical side of Deshaun Watson's case and the real victims who are affected by the situation and their stories, many of whom have bravely come forward in filing lawsuits against Watson, civil suits, going public with reports like Jenny Vrentas's with Sports Illustrated, and the New York Times, Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel has done a report around this case, and of course all of the women brought their names public in the civil suits. So we talk about that, and that's the most important part of anything we're talking about in this case. I've called it morals and ethics. It branches into all sorts of humanizing aspects of this case. The second case is the legal side, which we break down secondarily, and then finally we break down any aspects around the National Football League, their personal conduct policy, and their made-up legal system. And anything else that might pertain to football, we will not touch on the 
what if they bring in Jacoby Brissett and what if they bring in Jimmy Garoppolo? The only time that we've talked about actual football in that respect is the disdain for the Cleveland Browns in trading for a sexual predator, enabling him with a brand new contract, and defending him and lying to us at every single turn. And from a macro from a micro level perspective, that's one billion dollar corporation protecting a sexual predator with a toxic culture in an NFL that itself is a hundred billion dollar entity with about 32 individual corporations in between, many of whom have toxic cultures towards women because the NFL very much has a male privilege, male-dominated atmosphere, in, and it trickles down within its culture because of male privilege and all sorts of situations with power, specifically white power and male power in these respects. There's other cases of power being abused against people who are of the minority viewpoint. Specifically in the NFL, we talk a lot about male power and white power, and that continues to be the case with the National Football League in a culture that as a whole enables a sexual predator to have a more lenient punishment than say they would if they worked in some other corporation. So that's the football side of things. Again, we will put football to the side for now. We will put the NFL's legal situation to the side, begin with morals, and then move towards legal as we have done in every single one of these podcasts. And to begin today's podcast, I want to make a very clear distinction about these first two categories, the moral and ethical side of this case and the legal aspects of the Deshaun Watson case. Deshaun Watson's ruling of punishment by the NFL, for all intents and purposes, closes the legal side of this case. And the legal side of this case has been ongoing for 18 months since the first lawsuit was filed by Ashley Solis and Tony Busby against Deshaun Watson. And then within the next few days, about 17 more people brought lawsuits against Watson and the number got up to as high as 25. Uh, one person dropped the lawsuit, so it was 24. And Deshaun Watson has settled with 23 of the 24 women who were pursuing lawsuits against him. There's still one woman whose case is open currently, and that person will continue to either pursue her case or the case will end up uh, being settled sometime in the future. So 96% of the cases have been settled up to this point, and Deshaun Watson's punishment from the NFL is final. And so those are the only forms of, quote-unquote, I, I, I use this air quotes-wise, this is the form of accountability that Deshaun Watson is going to get legally or the NFL's weird legal standard, because I don't want to lump these two things together. Civil court is a true legal standard. Remember, Deshaun Watson uh, had criminal charges filed against him in Houston, Harris County, and they ended up not being sufficient enough to pursue a case. And then as soon as that happened, a week later, Deshaun Watson was being traded to the Cleveland Browns. And the civil suits are not taking away his freedoms. It is Deshaun Watson paying out financial damages for his behavior of sexually assaulting and sexually harassing women. And so Deshaun Watson settled those cases, and that's actual court. The NFL is not a real legal system. The NFL has a personal conduct policy because going back to 2014, they messed up the case with Ray Rice, where they only gave him a two-game suspension. It ended up affecting their bottom line because there was a massive public outcry about the NFL 
only suspending Ray Rice two games because after they suspended him two games, video was released by TMZ of Ray Rice beating up his girl, I guess essentially knocking out his wife, then a fiance, now wife, uh, in an elevator and dragging her out on video. And that was not the first case of a domestic violence video being publicized. Although in the same way that Rodney King's beating in Los Angeles in 1991 created a massive outcry because it was police brutality being filmed as opposed to police brutality existing for centuries. The fact that it was now being filmed was something that created a a massive outcry. Ray Rice was the most high profile figure, one of the most high profile figures, I should say, who ever had a case of domestic assault actually filmed and broadcasted to the nation. And so because of that, the NFL created their personal conduct policy, they make it up on the fly, and they try and hand down some form of punishment that will help protect the bottom line. The same reason why Calvin Ridley got a one-year suspension for gambling, and the reason why Ezekiel Elliott got a six-game suspension for domestic violence, even though no charges were filed against him and no civil suit ended up being pursued in that case. NFL needed to make the case for uh, that they were uh, had a, a system of accountability for players and owners and general managers and anyone who was employed by the NFL. Now, of course, they have let owners get away with erroneous behavior without a measure of accountability because that's what power does. And that's where the personal conduct policy comes from. And I guess I, I forgot to mention this at the start. I wanted to flip legal and moral first and foremost here because... This is the last time we're going to talk about Deshaun Watson's legal case. If we're talking about this is the end of the case for Deshaun Watson, that is correct only in the legal aspect. Deshaun Watson is going to be suspended 11 games. He's going to pay a $5 million fine. We had said originally the NFL can let him get away with this or they can not let him get away with this. They pursued a suspension that ended up being negotiated. Part of it was to avoid a lawsuit from the Players Association. There was all sorts of pressure coming from the Players Association to prevent a lengthy suspension from the NFL, and ultimately they negotiated on a settlement to avoid that case. And so now there is no form of, again, air quotes, legal or NFL accountability, because again, the NFL is not a legal system. Deshaun Watson was actually pursuing a legal system and, and a civil case where he had to give depositions and the women got to to give depositions as well. If they had gone to a trial, there would have been testifying, but in the NFL's investigation, you aren't obligated to cooperate. You cannot be subpoenaed. Like, the NFL doesn't have legal power. They have the same amount of legal power as, like, the NCAA. So I want to distinguish again. The NFL is not a legal entity. They just have the ability to give players accountability, which could lead to in some way, shape, or form, a measure of accountability for the victims, which is the most important thing when it comes to whatever sort of punishment Deshaun Watson is going to get. I hope that it was some sort of accountability that was sufficient for the victims of Deshaun Watson's sexual assaults and sexually predatory behavior. And so in that respect, this is the end of Deshaun Watson's legal case. We've talked about it, as I I mentioned earlier, on many other podcasts. We've done extensive conversation about this And this is effectively the end of Deshaun Watson's legal case. Obviously, there's one woman who is still pursuing charges against Watson in civil court and has not settled yet. And the statute of limitation for a civil suit 
in Texas is two years. And in March of 2023, it will be two years since the first lawsuit has been filed. And presumably Deshaun Watson has not engaged in this behavior since the lawsuits came to light. Therefore, after March of 2023, there will be no more possibility for a civil suit to be filed against Deshaun Watson. And that will essentially be the end of the legal case of this story. Now let's move to morals and ethics. Because this is where the Deshaun Watson case will not conclude. This is not the end of Deshaun Watson's saga. This is the part of the story where this will continue onward for years and years and years. Let's begin by once again reiterating what Deshaun Watson stands accused of. Deshaun Watson stands accused of sexually harassing or sexually assaulting at least 30 massage therapists during his time as the Houston Texans quarterback. These happened between fall of 2019 and spring of 2021, roughly a 17-month period in which Deshaun Watson, as we now know, met with 67 different massage therapists, 30 of whom ended up pursuing cases of pursuing some sort of criminal case or some sort of civil case against either Watson or the Houston Texans. Or we know that they came forward because they spoke to Jenny Vrentas back in 2021. And one of those cases that came forth in 2021 was a woman who did not identify herself. Um, so she was listed as Mary in the case. And this was in fall of 2019, which is one of the earliest cases of this behavior from Deshaun Watson. And so I wanted to reiterate this story that Mary had because it is the, one of the first known cases of Deshaun Watson's sexually predatory behavior. In the fall, this is from the Jenny Vrentas story in March of 2021. And by the way, Jenny Vrentas had been working on this story before uh, Ashley Solis filed a lawsuit against Deshaun Watson. And then it was published about two weeks after the fact. In the fall of 2019, Mary readied herself for an afternoon massage appointment with a client she had not worked with before. She was told in advance that he preferred to be covered with a towel instead of standard sheets, so she pulled out the largest towel she had. He asked for a private entry, so she brought him up to her office through the building's back door. What she couldn't prepare for, though, was Deshaun Watson's conduct during their two-and-a-half-hour session. She says it was unlike anything she experienced from her thousands of other or 1,000 other clients she has treated. Mary met Watson when he arrived at her rented office space in the fall of 2019. His appointment, originally for a 90-minute massage, was booked through another massage therapist in the area. Mary had a contract with the other therapist, who would refer clients to Mary, take a fee, and then pay Mary for the session. This other therapist had previously referred several other clients to Mary, without issues, so she trusted her. Mary didn't know the client would be Watson until about 15 minutes before the appointment, which she says was routine when she'd receive a referral. The other therapist also relayed what she presented as a standard request from Watson, to use a towel for the session rather than sheets. Mary put out a beach-sized towel for maximum coverage. When Mary books clients, she requires them to fill out an intake form, which stipulates that draping will be used during the session so that only the area being worked on will not be covered. 
Since Watson's appointment was set up through a third party, Mary's understanding was that the other therapist would handle the paperwork, though she can't say for certain whether Watson received or reviewed those rules. She used the oversized towel to drape him until about 45 minutes into the session, when she says he tossed the towel onto the floor, saying it was too itchy. Watson was laying face up on the table, naked and totally uncovered, something Mary says has never happened during any of her other massage appointments. Quote, I was in shock, Mary says. She proceeded with the massage without the towel, knowing that her payment was coming from another therapist. Quote, I trusted the therapist that referred him to me that nothing weird was going to happen, end quote. After 90 minutes, Watson asked to extend the session for another hour. She continued to work only on his quads, inner thighs, and abdomen, the specific areas he requested. Watson developed an erection, she says, and also began clenching and slowly thrusting in the air. Mary at first wondered whether his movements were a pain response to her deep tissue work, so she asked whether he was okay. She says he replied that he was fine and stopped thrusting for a short time. Mary learned during her massage training that erections can develop as a relaxation response. She recalls situations in the past when that's happened to a client while they dozed off. They usually become embarrassed when they realize it and start talking about something random to divert their thoughts. If that doesn't work, she'll sometimes switch to a more painful massage technique. Watson's behavior indicated to her that, quote, his intentions were different, end quote. There was one point that he did tell me, she says, that I could move his penis if I needed to, and I just completely ignored him. She took this as a suggestion to touch his exposed penis. Watson stayed on his back for the entire session. While she massaged his abdomen, Mary says she noticed different fluids on his stomach. She remembers questioning what it was whether it was really pre-ejaculate, telling herself, this can't be what I think it is. In the final five to ten minutes of the session, Mary says Watson began thrusting his pelvis in the air again, this time much faster. Quote, at that point, I recognized it, was f it, what recognized it for what it was, Mary said. She says she told him he needed to calm down. He stopped, the session ended, and she left the room to let him get dressed. When she returned, he gave her a hug. Because of his request to use the back entrance, she then had to walk him out of the building. Mary says she immediately told the other massage therapist who had referred Watson to her everything that had happened. She remembers the other therapist telling her she would talk to Watson. Mary also called a family member directly following the session. SI spoke to this relative who remembers taking Mary's call that afternoon at a spotlight at a specific intersection in Houston. The relative's account of what Mary told her then aligns with Mary's description of the incident now. She also recalls Mary's shock and disbelief that day, as she described what she believed to be the pre-ejaculatory fluid on his stomach and his suggestion to touch and move his penis. They were both stunned that she and the business she'd worked hard to build had been disrespected in this way. Watson reached out to both Mary and the referring therapist the day after his appointment, asking to book with her again. Mary says she told him via text that she was not available. In the following months, she says she heard from Watson twice more via IG direct message. Each time, he did not seem to realize that he'd previously booked with her. SI reviews these massages, message, sorry, reviewed these messages sent from Watson's verified Instagram account as part of the process to corroborate Mary's account. The first follow-up was a few weeks later, via direct message to the Instagram page for Mary's business. Watson says a mutual friend had told him to reach out about a booking about booking a massage. Mary told him they had worked together before, and he made her feel uncomfortable then. 
She had reservations, but recognized that he could be an important client for her growing business. She told him she could work with him again if he could be respectful. She also made clear to him in one message, quote, I just do massage, followed by the upside down smiley face emoji. Watson replied, oh, gotcha. Sorry, there were no intentions for anything more. He did not book an appointment. The last time Mary heard from him was in the fall of 2020. This time, Watson DM'd her personal Instagram account, replying to a post in which she'd made an announcement about her business and congratulated her. Watson then asked whether she had any availability for a massage. Mary was again unsure when, whether he realized who she was, so she screenshotted and sent the conversation they'd had on the business account, reiterated that she runs a professional business that requires full sheet draping, and if he could abide by those policies, he was welcome to book with her again. She says he replied positively. He did not book that time either. Mary believes Watson's behavior, based on what she experienced, as well as the accounts of other women who have brought their who other women have brought forward, was a quote powerful move because he could. After his appointment with her, she says the shock lingered. Seeing his face on social media or hearing a friend mention his name, common occurrences for the face of a local NFL franchise, became triggers for her. She scroll past or turn away. Her career aspirations were once to be a massage therapist for professional athletes or teams, but after her experience with Watson, her focus shifted away from that goal. In addition to speaking up now, over the last few months, Mary also sought to protect her fellow massage therapists. She began sharing the warning that she wishes she had received. Quote, the one thing I keep thinking about is, he's about to get traded to another place, Mary says. What if he goes to Atlanta or California or anywhere else? He would have a whole new community of massage therapists to target. Moreover, Watson's blanket denial of ever treating women with disrespect helped spur Mary to speak up and lend her voice as a witness. Quote, more than anything, the fact that he's denied all the allegations makes it more of a reason for us to use our voice and say what we have to say. Mary also wants the information she is sharing to spur Watson to get help and to be used in a way that helps establish a higher respect level for the massage therapy profession, which she and many of her colleagues enter into with a goal of helping people. Quote, I just want a genuine apology for us and our community for putting us in these situations where we don't know what to do. There are so many people that are against us saying, why would he do that? He has no reason to do that. He has a beautiful girlfriend. He has this, 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 and this. All of those things are true, but fame doesn't create character. So that's the full story, which we first highlighted back in 2021, and we haven't come back to in the time since. One thing that we've also reiterated during this case is the details of Ashley Solis and Kyla Hayes, who went on Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel. And their stories are similar to some of the other 24 women who have brought cases against Deshaun Watson and are also more egregious than what Mary is talking about, where Deshaun Watson is ejaculating on people's faces and on their hands and on their bodies. Uh, he's asking them to touch his exposed penis and his testicles and his butt. And it's all cases that repeat a pattern of sexually predatory behavior. And I want to share this quick clip from Ashley Solis, who has been the front facing woman who first filed a lawsuit against Watson and spoke at the press conference. We, we told 
the story of that and played the clip from the press conference. And this is a clip from Ashley Solis from the May edition of Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel on HBO. Also note that a Soledad O'Brien is the female reporter who is asking the questions back and forth with Ashley. First, she says, Watson refused the towel she had provided to cover him, insisting on using what she describes as a tiny hand towel instead. Then, after the session began, she says Watson attempted to bare his naked body. He ends up exposing himself, and I hurried up and covered him with the towel, and he said, oh, you don't have to worry about the towel. And I said, yes, I do. So then what happened? He requested that I work on his abdomen. But the moment I went above his navel, he told me he didn't want me to work there. He wanted me to work lower. He just kept directing me to go lower and don't be scared. You you can go in there. like. And I just started really freezing up at this point. Can you explain that? Like a wave just took over my body. I felt so hot. I was sweating. Um, it was getting more and more clear that this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought the session was going to be. And so as I'm working, he deliberately grabs himself and put his penis on my hand. And I pulled my hand away instantly and I started crying. And I told him that I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. So Lee says she waited for Watson to leave. But before he did, she says he delivered a parting message. He just said, I know you have a career to protect, and I know you don't want anyone messing with it, just like I don't want anyone messing with mine. That's when I got really scared. Why? Because that sounded like a threat to me. Again, that audio is courtesy of Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel on HBO. This was May's episode of that show. And so... This is another detailed account. Kyla Hayes is another person who went on that show and talked about her account with Deshaun Watson. There have been dozens of depositions which they break down in that show and with the reporting from Jenny Vrentas back on June 8th with the New York Times, which is the most extensive report that's come out thus far on Deshaun Watson's case. And so there, uh, I just want to read the first part of that real quick. The accusations have been frequent and startling. More than two dozen women have said the football star Deshaun Watson harassed or assaulted them during massage appointments that Watson and his lawyers insisted were innocuous. Two grand juries in Texas this year declined to charge him criminally and, while the NFL considers whether to discipline him, has gotten another job signing a five-year, $230 million fully guaranteed contract to play quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. It is time, Watson and his representatives say, for everyone to move on, yet a New York Times examination of records, including depositions and evidence for the civil lawsuits, as well as interviews of some of the women, show that Watson engaged in more questionable behavior than previously known. The Times review also showed that Watson's conduct was enabled, knowingly or not, by the team he played for at the time, the Houston Texans, which provided the venue Watson used for some of his appointments, a team representative also furnished him with a non-disclosure agreement after a woman who is now suing him threatened online to expose his behavior. Watson has said publicly that he hired about 40 different therapists across his five seasons in Houston, but the Times reporting found that he booked appointments with at least 66 different women in just the 17 months from fall of 2019, which, side note, is when the 
uh, incident with Mary happened that was detailed by Jenny in 2021. From fall of 2019 through spring 2021, a few of these additional women, speaking publicly for the first time, described experiences that undercut Watson's insistence that he was only seeking professional massage therapy. One woman who did not sue Watson or complain to the police told the Times that he was persistent in his request for sexual acts during their massage, including begging her to put her mouth on his penis. Quote, I specifically had to say, no, I can't do that said the woman, who spoke on the condition of anonymity to protect her family's privacy. And that's when I went into asking him, what is it like being famous? Like, what's going on? You're about to mess up everything. End quote. So, also in this reporting, and again, we go through the whole report on the June 8th podcast that we did, Watson had... Uh, the Times reporting found that he had booked appointments with at least 66 different women in 17 months from fall 2019 to spring 2021. And I want to reiterate the timeline of events of the women who are filing lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. Now, these are 23 of the 25 cases that were brought against Deshaun Watson. And again, reminder, this doesn't include Mary, who was in the fall of 2019, which means that Watson was still booking appointments with massage therapists through Instagram and engaging in sexually predatory behavior before this timeline of events, because these are only the people who are filing lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. Beginning March 30th, 2020, at the plaintiff's home in Texas. April 19th, 2020, at a Houston spa. May 28th, 2020, Watson's home in Houston. June 2nd, 2020, Houston Spa. Five days later, June 7th, 2020, and August 24th, 2020, and in late August or early September 2020, at New U Salon Spa. June 2020 and August 17th, 2020, at a hotel and later spa in Houston. July 2020, Plaintiff's Home in Houston. July 2020, in Arizona. Four sessions between July 2020 and September 2020 in Texas. July 15, 2020, at, a, at Plaintiff's Home in Beverly Hills, California. August 2, 2020, Hotel in Houston. August 5, 2020, and August 9, 2020, at Plaintiff's Apartment. August 28, 2020, at the Houstonian Hotel Club and Spa. This would be the 9th account of Deshaun Watson engaging with someone during the time frame of July and August. September 2nd, 2020, and November 17th, 2020, at Watson's house. Multiple encounters between September 9th and October 2020 at a Houston spa. September 24th, 2020, at a rented room in a Houston salon. Two sessions, October 19th and November 2nd, 2020, at Plaintiff's office in Houston. October 18th, 2020, at a Houston spa. October 19th, 2020, at Plaintiff's office in Houston. November 6th and 10th, 2020, at Plaintiff's mother's house in Texas. November 9th, 2020, at Plaintiff's office in Houston. December 28th, 2020, at a Houston office building. Sometime in 2020. January 21st, 2021, in Houston. And March 5th, 2021, at a massage therapy business in Sandy Springs, Georgia. Across 23 of the 25 women who pursued lawsuits against Watson, which again does not include the additional five women who sued the Houston Texans, 
and the cases which we've talked about of people who didn't bring accusations to court against Watson, but did in reporting by Ginny Vrentas in Sports Illustrated and in the New York Times, this adds up to at least 34 different incidents in which Deshaun Watson engaged in sexually predatory behavior. A reminder, this only is based on the 23, 23 of the 25 lawsuits that were filed against Deshaun Watson. That's 34 incidents across a span of 13 months in which Deshaun Watson engaged in such sexually predatory behavior. And of course, we know that going back to fall of 2019, that Deshaun Watson also engaged in sexually predatory behavior from the story told by Mary in Sports Illustrated. What we've been describing for the last 20 minutes is the sexually predatory behavior that Deshaun Watson has been engaging in for 17 months that we know of from reporting that's been done by credible news outlets and brave women who have come forward to pursue lawsuits against Watson and get some form of accountability for their actions. Just because an accountability and a punishment has been handed down does not mean that we have to stop being moral and ethical about this case and doesn't mean that there still won't be pain for these victims and still won't be very, very difficult emotional trauma that these people will have to deal with, especially as they enter a professional setting in which they still remain vulnerable. Despite the fact that they've brought lawsuits against a powerful person, that's not enough to engage in meaningful change around protecting women in professional settings and protecting women within the confines of corporate culture. And John Amici, who I read a lot of his stuff, and, and he's a former professional basketball player turned clinical psychologist in England, and he brings up this great point that I use, not as a blanket statement, but just as a good point of reference when talking about culture. Organizational culture is the worst behavior that will be tolerated within your organization. Culture is the worst behavior that will be tolerated within your organization. And corporate culture for years has allowed men to engage in predatory behavior towards women because women in a corporate culture and women within a corporate workforce have not been seen with the same level of respect professionally as men have been because of misogyny and gender roles of the 18th, 19th, and 20th century, the fight for women's rights, which again, women have only had the right to vote for about 100 years now, and women have this, I mean, the pay gap still exists for women, and women just are not treated well within the corporate culture and within society at large. We've decided that engaging in predatory behavior towards women is at the very least acceptable within the corporate culture or that the systems of accountability for these, uh, whether it be the legal system or whether it be within our organizations, the systems of accountability are not strong enough to deter the behavior at a level that, say, other sorts of crimes are tolerated with. And the NFL has come out and decided that we are going to allow Deshaun Watson to come back this season and... While we are making improvements to this policy, it's not going to be perfect. And this is a, just a broader example of corporate culture. And so when it comes to morals and ethics around this case, everyone draws their own moral and ethical line within different places. Everyone has their own level of morals and ethics with which they care about. 
And regardless of what Deshaun Watson's suspension was going to be, you're going to have some people who argue that the case was too soft a suspension, and some who argue that it was too strong a suspension because it's an arbitrary scale. Now, we should listen to the people who are actually in the minority in this case and people who are victims of this type of behavior when deciding what the type of punishment should be. However, within the corporate culture, these things are collectively bargained, and we as a society just don't care about the opinions of women a lot of the times. And it's really disheartening. We've talked about this a lot with Morgan from Australia recently about how even when gains are made around women's rights and women within the corporate workforce, like I talk about the, the when equal pay was accomplished for the women's soccer team in the United States, even my cynical brain kicked in. It's like it's probably not as good as it seems because gains for women's rights seem to come so exponentially slowly because male power and male-dominated industries still reign supreme in the 21st century capitalistic society of America. And so the white male, I'm specifically male, but additionally white male power structures continue to enable and protect this behavior. And it's important to talk about male privilege and male power structures here because the NFL is a sport governed by white people that has a workforce that is predominantly black. And all across the board, the NFL has decided that we are not going to commit to fundamental reform at a fast enough pace to match with the rest of corporate culture in America. Corporate culture in America is still ahead of the NFL when it comes to protecting women and creating work environments in which women are safe and protected and secure and can engage in their work without being predated on and are shown the level of respect that they deserve within the constructs of the corporate culture. And so morally and ethically, everyone is going to draw their bar in different places about when you engage in this serial sexually predatory behavior, what is the accountability? Because there's never going to be a case exactly like Deshaun Watson's again. And so from this point forward, this is still where morals and ethics play a role. Because in order to create change and in order to protect women, we have to continue to talk about this case. And not everyone cares about this. Male privilege gives people the ability to not care about the well-being of women in a way that constitutes meaningful change. And we'll talk about this again when we come back around uh, at the very end of the show. I have a conclusion to this, uh, to this story that builds off of this point. What I want to move into quickly as we talk about morals and ethics and the real human cases about this is we've talked about the legal side, we've talked about the moral ethical side, now let's bring the NFL into this case. And the biggest breakdown we've done around the NFL was the August 2nd podcast following the six-game ruling by Sue L. Robinson. And the thing that's been reiterated from the start is the NFL can let Deshaun Watson get away with this. They can let the Cleveland Browns get away with this, and they can let Deshaun Watson get away with this if they so choose. And the NFL ultimately came to a conclusion of we're going to offer an 11-game suspension, which and the fine is the most important part because the Browns set up a contract in which if Watson is suspended for the entire season, he won't lose a single cent. And even if he's suspended for part of a season, he only makes a million dollars against the cap on that first season. So Deshaun Watson 
was always going to collect all of his money, regardless of what the suspension was going to be, which again is the largest contract in the history of the NFL by a significant margin. And the Cleveland Browns, enabling Deshaun Watson's behavior by lying in press releases, protecting him at every turn, including avoiding press conference interviews, they have enabled that behavior and created what might, what probably already existed, but they have now firmly established a toxic culture within the Cleveland Browns because this sort of behavior is not only encouraged or is not only enabled. Remember the John Amici point I said about culture is the worst behavior that's tolerated within your organization? Browns are not only tolerating it, they are rewarding it. Thus, toxic culture within the Cleveland Browns. And you've seen responses by Cleveland Browns fans and people within the organization and those associated with the team that have been negative and pushed back against that. It's not to say that everyone is just moving along and saying that this is okay. It's the culture that exists for the Cleveland Browns. They are a billion-dollar corporation, one-thirty-second of an already existing billion-dollar, I guess a hundred-billion-dollar corporation that is the NFL. And so within the NFL, they did the best they could in trying to exploit their system to give a fair punishment to Deshaun Watson. And no matter what the case was, this was going to be a case of you come to what might be the right result through all of the wrong reasons. The base, Additionally to the humanizing cases that we brought up from the New York Times and Sports Illustrated and Real Sports with Brian Gumbel and the timeline of events uh, of the 34 behaviors from 23 of the 25 lawsuits, the 34 sexually predatory acts and sexual assaults that Deshaun Watson engaged in during the, the was it 13-month period we outlined. In addition to that, Sue L. Robinson, the arbiter for the NFL, listed in her report that Deshaun Watson sexually assaulted four women. The reason he got six games is that that was the precedent that had been set in the past by the NFL. The NFL had given a one a, a three-game suspension to Jameis Winston for one sexual assault when he sexually assaulted an Uber driver, and he got a three-game suspension from that. There was no significant... Uh, she described it as a significant like ruling to the uh, to the players association that they were going to change the personal conduct policy and she said in her statement that while the NFL is a forward facing organization they are not exactly a forward thinking one and they are very reactionary she mentioned the Ray Rice suspension and how they double suspended Ray Rice in violation of the collective bargaining agreement and how the NFL was reacting to public backlash in trying to offer Deshaun Watson a year-long suspension, possibly an indefinite suspension, which is what the NFL was arguing for in their arbitration. The NFL Players Association was arguing for no suspension because you're not punishing Dan Snyder, you're not punishing Jerry Jones, you're not punishing Robert Kraft for similar poor behaviors against women, even though you're supposed to hold owners to a higher standard than the players, which... Their argument is wrong. I want to point that forward. The NFL Players Association has to make that argument because they defend Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Watson is a union representative. They have to make that argument. Their argument is two wrongs make a right. They know it's flawed. They knew he was going to be suspended. It's the argument they had to make. The NFL argument was indefinite suspension. We don't want to deal with this strong punishment coming down so that we can look like the law and order league, just like baseball did when they suspended Trevor Bauer for two years for sexually assaulting a woman twice. 
and according to the Washington Post, two women. And they ended up coming up with a six-game suspension because, and this is the really gross part about this, if Jameis Winston gets a three-game suspension for sexually assaulting one woman, four sexual assaults is a six-game suspension. And the NFL came back and argued in arbitration that four k but because again, uh, I forgot to mention this, but we mentioned it in the August 2nd case and the uh, the the June 27th podcast that we made the NFL could only use findings from their own investigation in the Sue L. Robinson arbitration hearing which is what they collectively bargained I think it's flawed because the court system already did your investigating for you journalism outlets have done the reporting for you use their information in deciding your punishment Ultimately, because the NFL, according to Tony Busby and Ashley Solis, was doing the investigation because they had to and were victim-blaming in their interview process, they stopped cooperating with the NFL. Therefore, the NFL only had 10 interviews to work on and only four cases of sexual assault that could be brought to Sue L. Robinson. And Sue L. Robinson decided all four of them, Deshaun Watson committed these acts, he was lying under uh, he was lying in testimony to Sue L. Robinson, he was not credible. The women were credible. Four cases of sexual assault confirmed by Sue L. Robinson. And again, Sue L. Robinson is not a legal entity. She just is a former judge hired by the NFL to be an arbitrator, hired by the NFL and the NFL Players Association to be an independent arbiter. And so she ruled four sexual assaults as a six-game suspension based on the personal conduct policy because a one-game, uh, a one sexual assault was a three-game suspension. And the NFL came back and said four sexual assaults equals 12-game suspension, plus we're going to negotiate a gigantic fine. And that was so that they could avoid a lawsuit from the Players Association and get a punishment that also included a fine so that they could keep the Browns and Deshaun Watson at least a little bit accountable for their behavior. In that the, fi the Browns enabled Deshaun Watson by giving him a contract that if he had been suspended for a full season, would have just pushed the contract back a year, so he would have been suspended $0. He would have lost $0, and instead he'll only lose $700,000 with the 11-game suspension, and the $5 million fine is just a way to at least have some form of accountability financially as a punishment instead of just losing games and not paying any sort of financial penalty. This is the NFL case around this. The NFL could have let Deshaun Watson get away with it. And they did, after a long process, an okay job. And the reason I say an okay job is not for any moral or ethical point. It's that this is progress. It doesn't look like progress because it's not as much progress as we thought there would be. In 2009, Ben Roethlisberger raped a woman, and it was a very high-profile case, and he got a six-game suspension from the National Football League. I bring this up because it's the only high-profile case that closely reflects what happened with Deshaun Watson. Now, with Deshaun Watson, we're not talking about rape. In this case, we are talking about 34 different events of sexual harassment and sexual assault which is really difficult 
to break down because it's such an unprecedented situation from any athlete. Nonetheless, an athlete who is as public facing as Deshaun Watson, one of the players who will move a billion dollars in revenue for the NFL over the next 15 years, just as Ben Roethlisberger did, not in the case of a billion dollars, Ben Roethlisberger moved hundreds of million dollars in revenue for the National Football League following his six-game suspension for raping a woman back in 2009. And 13 years later, Deshaun Watson got an 11-game suspension and a $5 million fine for sexually harassing and sexually assaulting 25, well, at least we know of 30 different women during his massage therapy sessions. And that doesn't look like progress, and it is slight progress. The amount of public backlash that has come to the Cleveland Browns as a result of this is a form of progress that did not exist in 2009. And the world has changed a lot in regards to the way we talk about women in the workforce and sexual assault and sexual harassment, especially men talking about this and being not just allies, but people who are also fighting against misogyny and fighting against sexual harassment of women, not just in the workplace, but in society at large. The Me Too movement had a lot to do with progress and how we talk about these issues and how we become informed about the trauma and effects that this has on women. Because women are taking the microphone and they are taking the power back from men in some small capacity. It is an infinite goal to pursue. Women being treated equally to men within society. It is not there. We will never reach that point in our lifetime and many of us will die trying, trying to pursue that goal. Most people will be women. I find it incredibly important for people in the majority, in this case men and biological males, to voice the viewpoint of the minority, which in this case is the rights of biological females and people who are LGBTQ+, people who are cisgender, advocating for the rights of those who are not cisgender. And so this is a case in which we will be pursuing this fight for women's rights for years and years and years. And this is at least some level of progress. In an, a, a generational case of sexual harassment and sexual assault. Again, I've said this over and over when talking about this story. You have one of the six most important football players in the world accused of unprecedented levels of sexually predatory behavior from an athlete. This is a sports story for a generation. We will not see a case like this for a long, long time. The last case we have to work on with this is Ben Roethlisberger and Kobe Bryant in 2004. And Kobe Bryant gets to become a legend and a hero in Los Angeles. Ben Roethlisberger gets to become a hero in Pittsburgh. He'll have his jersey retired and he will be forever selling books and signing jerseys and doing and he'll get to have a hall of fame speech in which he'll be applauded and cheered and that is something that won't happen for Deshaun Watson for a long time especially as he continues to deny allegations and that's part of what progress looks like it's not as fast of progress as i would like it's not as fast of progress as women deserve, 
and it's also progress nonetheless. This is a sports story for a generation, and our behavior from this point forward will help to shape the culture of the next generation. That's why talking about the morals and ethics and the humanizing story about this will continue to be important, because I see a lot of men, either with, with major media outlets or on social media, engaging in a dialogue around this case, and a lot of men talking about how wrong this is, and at the same time accepting it as a reality. And the next step for people who are allies is to then work to improve women's rights, to actively sacrifice for the good of promoting women to positions of power and promoting women in ways that have not existed in society for our entire lifetimes and probably will not exist in a perfect form for my entire lifetime. I've got 100 years left of life and I will probably not live to see a day in which women achieve some standard of equal rights equivalent to men within the corporate workforce, within economics, within politics, and within culture. I will probably not live to see that day. And at the same time, it's a cause that is compelling to myself and many other people to fight against that case. It's why I come on this platform and I talk about this Deshaun Watson case. Many of these thoughts are informed by the Deshaun Watson case, is actively fighting to improve the position and power of women within culture, economics, politics, and society at large. And this is a sports story of a generation. What's going to happen when the next generation has a story like this? Behavior from this point forward will help to shape the culture of what the next generation is going to look like. And people who are male who are allies in this case and believe Deshaun Watson didn't face a harsh enough punishment, what are we going to do to ensure that this behavior is not enabled again? Are you going to stop spending money with the NFL? Because the NFL is still governed by the dollar. Corporations are still motivated first and foremost by the dollar and shareholder value. So your money and changing your behavior on an individual level is going to help reinforce that there is not an acceptable form of behavior here and you want to change the corporate culture. Money is a mover to help instigate change. Pressure and shame of corporations economically and culturally is going to help drive change. It may not move as fast as we'd like and it's not going to move as fast as women deserve. At the same time, you have to keep fighting to achieve some level of progress. So that that way when we look back a generation from now, when the next story like this inevitably happens, we will have a better response for it and we will create better systems of accountability for people in power. And when we look back 10 years from now from this case, we will see a world that is different than the one that exists now. That's the next step around this case, and it's why this case is not over with Deshaun Watson, even though there will be no more form of accountability for Deshaun Watson. And NFL media, ESPN, propaganda outlets around the NFL will work hard to not only make this story go away, and the Cleveland Browns will want you to continue to spend money so that five years from now you're buying Deshaun Watson jerseys, even as that is going to happen. Pushing back against that narrative and pushing back against that culture. Even if you continue to watch the NFL, 
even if you continue to spend money on the NFL, little behaviors like that will help to instigate change, especially for men, because male privilege is what helps to enable this. Saying that you acknowledge that it's wrong and that possibly Deshaun Watson did not get a harsh enough suspension, that is good behavior. That is being an ally. That is the bare minimum because you're not being antagonistic towards women in this case. The next step is to work to help instigate change. The next step is to change your behaviors and put pressure economically on corporations in order to change behavior. What happens when the next generation comes along and we have the next sports story of a generation? The next generation might be five years from now. I argue that in sports and in life, generations are about every five years because it's hard for me to relate to someone who's 15 years old. And it's hard for me to relate to someone who's 28 years old. However, we're all part of the same generation. So I think generations last smaller. What's going to happen five years from now when the next case like this comes along? When we have to talk about sexual assault and sexual harassment of women in professional settings and within corporate cultures again? Are we going to have achieved progress from this case? Are we going to have learned things from the Deshaun Watson case as male sports fans? Are we going to change our behavior? Are we going to hold systems of power accountable in ways that maybe we wanted to with Deshaun Watson and also weren't able to? What is progress going to look like? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day. Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Every now and again, Wired Up will be coming back once the season starts as our college football recap show. Make sure to uh, continue to check out our podcast. We've done a week's worth of shows. I will mention again, August 2nd, 2022, June 27th, June 22nd, June 8th, May 27th. Those Five episodes plus this one will give you about six hours worth of content talking about the Deshaun Watson case and conversations around this. There is so much gray area. There is so much nuance. There is so much to cover that, again, even in this hour that we've recorded here today, there are parts that I have not covered in their entirety. So I encourage you, if you want more conversation and detail about these cases, more humanizing stories from the victims, uh, talk about the legal aspects, even if you're looking for talk about the NFL case, you can find all of that on those six episodes that we have recorded. And I'll reiterate the dates. May 27th, 2022, June 8th, 2022, which was uh, the report from Jenny Vrentas in its entirety, the link to that's also available in the description to this episode if you're looking for it. June 22nd, settlement talks, more legal talk about the case. June 27th, talking about the disciplinary hearing, which includes humanizing stories, moral and ethical aspects, and legal aspects, and goes into detail predominantly about the NFL's made-up legal process. And August 2nd is the podcast that we did after Deshaun Watson got a six-game suspension from Sue L. Robinson. Again, humanizing stories, moral and ethical aspects of this case, legal aspects of this case, and breaking it down from the NFL standpoint as well. All of those episodes will have much more nuance and detail similar to this show about the Deshaun Watson case. I appreciate each and every one of you for continuing to support this podcast, and we will talk to you again next week. Take it easy, everybody.